0: Welcome to part three of this series on the modern social justice movement or wokeness, all things related to uh, about race, racism in America, racialization of America, racial reconciliation. Um, If you have not listened to episode one. And two, I would go back and at least listen to episode one to get some of the groundwork. What I what I did in episode one and two, two and two and two and never and key is I'm just trying to outline the big idea of wokeness. Whether you agree with it or not, whether I agree with it or not, um, whether I agree with some of it or not, I'm just trying to make sense of for all of us what does it mean to be woke regarding racial realities in America. What is actually being talked about? What is the big idea? of all of it. And so um, at towards the end of this uh, episode, I'm going to give just kind of the big summarizing conclusion. But essentially what we've said up to this point um, is that America's foundation and driving forces today is racist, particularly um, white supremacy. White supremacy is in the foundation of America, even the American church. Um, it drives and shapes today's life um, uh, that uh, racism is all around us all the time. It may be even worse today than it has been uh, historically. The progress we seem to have have made in America as a society in America is not really progress. it's just racism becoming more stealthy and now it's essentially uh, invisible. Um, uh, that is that is really the big idea. And again if you're like, oh Colin, you just left out so many different things. Episode one, Episode two. That's essentially what I tried to unpack. I'm I'm using three uh, very influential books to to put together this idea of what is wokeness, um, White Fragility by Robin DiAngelo, Color of Compromise by Jamar Tisby, How to Be an Anti Racist by Ibram Kendi. I've been paying attention to this whole conversation, this whole reality for about ten years now, um, and uh, in the past year, really took a deep dive into a lot of the leading literature. Obviously, paying a lot of attention to it in recent years, um, and uh, and then ended up writing this sixteen, seventeen-page kind of summary and response to all of it to to kind of make sense of it. And then I'm 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 essentially turning it into these podcast episodes. Going to conclude the first heading, the first heading of of my summary of these books, and 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 of course everything else that that we're hearing about these uh, realities in this topic. Um, the first main heading that is episode one, two, and three here is what is the big idea? Agree with it or not? What is being said? Now here's what we're going to pick up today. If you've paid attention to this conversation about race at all, you have heard that um, that racism is in our systems, structures, laws, policies, even just general way of life. And one of the biggest questions that I ask over and over and over again, as I'm talking to people about this, as I'm reading the literature, as I'm listening to a lecture or a sermon or whatever, is what are those systems, structures, laws, policies, and ways of life? What are they? Again and again, I hear that they are racist. And so I'm just saying, okay, I'm trying to put my finger on on which systems, structures, laws, policies, ways of life are are racist. Uh, Ibram Kendi denounces uh, in his book, How to Be an Anti-Racist, he denounces the racist, quote, written and unwritten laws, rules, procedures, processes, regulations, and guidelines. Robin DiAngelo denounces the uh, racist, quote, laws, policies, practices, and norms of society. Okay, so we have here written laws, unwritten laws, rules, procedures, processes, regulations, guidelines, laws, policies, practices, norms of society. And this is what's racist about him. These things are uh, racist. So my big question again and again and again is, what are the racist written and unwritten laws, rules, procedures, processes, regulations, and guidelines? What are the racist laws, policies, practices, and norms of society? Again, quoting there from Ibram Kendi and Robin D'Angelo. And I'm going to be totally honest here. Uh, it's largely still unclear to me. It's largely still unclear to me. Um, To me, this is one of the glaring holes in this whole conversation right here. Because it is still largely unclear to me uh, what those laws are that need to, to change, what policies need to change, what practices need to change. And by practices, I, we can think of obvious racist practices that are not lawful, that are not moral, but I'm saying these kind of concrete practices that happen in America that we approve of. What, what processes, uh, processes, regulations, procedures, rules, laws need to change? Um, I asked uh, ask this um, directly to a proponent of these views one time you know, what, I asked for a precise example of, of one of these things. And all I got back was, was essentially a repetition of the same thing, you know, that, uh, that, that what we mean by, or what the, the woke movement means by written and unwritten laws is, is kind of the, the norms of doing life. Okay. Well, what is that? What, what precisely can we point to it? Um, But it also makes sense that it's largely unclear, right? Because if everything is essentially racist and this racism is invisible, then why be precise? I mean, if the question is not for the woke movement, um, is something racist, but is there anything that's not functionally racist, then why be precise? You know, we're, we're essentially starting by saying, the air we breathe is racist, so why be precise? It's just kind of all racist. I mean, it kind of makes sense that in this whole conversation that it's still unclear to me. Um, if there's no need to prove, you know, if there's no need to prove that that something is racist, well, the burden of proof now falls on everyone else to prove that it's not racist. You know, essentially what this argument and what wokeness is saying is that everything Is racist until proven not racist. The burden of proof now falls on on uh, people to prove that that white supremacy isn't the driving force or shaping force or in the foundation uh, of something. Uh, A lack of evidence in many there's a lack of evidence uh, in many instances, Um, but but a key way of showing. That racism is still prevalent is found by finding inequity between racial groups. This is this is core to Ibram Kendi's book, "How to Be an Anti Racist." Um, a key way of proving racism is by showing inequity between racial groups. Now, I'm not saying inequality. There's a difference between equity and equality. Okay, when we talk equality or inequality, we're talking about people being treated fairly. We're, we're, we're talking about people having equal rights in America, regardless of skin color. Okay. Laws treating people fairly. You know, this is why we have anti-discrimination laws, um, for, for business, for instance, because we want all people to be treated equally and fairly, regardless of skin color, religion, uh, sexual orientation, these sorts of things. Um, now, one of the key ways of proving racism is not found by finding inequality, but inequity. What are we talking about when we talk about inequity and equity? Well, to use an example, we might be talking about income levels. So we hear a lot today about how there's inequity between female income and male income, that male income uh, it is said is uh, in general higher than female inco- income, and this inequity is said to be the result of um, discrimination based on gender. Uh, that that men are paid more because they're more valued, just just because they're men. Inequity, right? So that inequity is said to, to automatically show. Discrimination based on gender. And so anytime there's inequity between racial groups, especially for Ibrahim Kendi, this is necessarily the result of of essentially inequality, of racism, of discrimination based on uh, race. So racism is assumed to be the cause for all uh, inequity, uh, at least racial inequity. Um, The inequity is the proof. Okay. In other words, in cynical theories, they say, "quote disparate outcomes can have one and only one explanation, and it is prejudicial bigotry that is the only explanation." So that's that's core to to Kendi's argument, especially in how to be an anti-racist. Racial inequity differences between racial groups, um, uh, particularly when it's when it's negative, uh, it's negative uh, for for uh, a group of black people, that is going to be always and only the result of, of essentially uh, racism and, and white supremacy in some form or fashion. Um, so if there's racial disparity, it's the result of white supremacy. Though it is rarely clear how the system actually works to cause the disparity. Again, there's a system working to create the inequity but it's rarely ever shown how that system is actually doing it. Okay. So to give you an example, this is at one point Ibram Kendi, and I'll be honest, I'm gonna use this example, and and you can go and and find this example in his book. I can't remember exactly what page it's on. I think it's uh around page 31. This is so strange to me that I still think certainly I mis misinterpreted this. Like certainly I did not get this right. But at one point, Kendi goes so far to imply that someone using, quote, crack should not, end quote, it says crack, and this is me speaking now, they should not be, that should not be considered a reason why that particular person seems to have, for instance, a lower income or less success than another white person. So if someone is hooked on crack and they're not at the same level of success, let's say, income level, as a white person, the answer is not that they're hooked on crack. The answer is somehow that that's the result of racism in some in some way. So if you blame drug use, if drug use is used as a reason for income uh, inequity, um, that's probably just a way to avoid blaming it on racism. Really, the problem is racism. Really, the problem is white supremacy. Not that this person is totally addicted to and strung out on crack all the time. Again, that that's an example he uses. It still sounds crazy to me that, 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 that is how he argued in the book. Go, go check it out. Maybe I'm totally misinterpreting him, but that's, that's essentially what I read off the page and, uh, and read him saying. Um, So this movement does not like to talk about personal responsibility at all. When you, when you talk about personal responsibility, For instance, maybe your drug use addiction, your drug addiction is the reason you can't hold a job, personal responsibility. Um, If you talk in that manner, you're missing the point. Because the real problem is some deeper communal system at work to oppress. So racial disparity in income, for instance, it seems, is never about someone's personal choices or their personal work ethic, or avoiding drugs, being addicted to drugs, something like that. Again, I'm using the drug example because Kendi does. Um, It's only and always the result of the powerful oppressing the less powerful. Okay, Now, Kendi makes this extremely clear when he writes that, quote, equality leads to equity. Equality leads to equity. In other words, if everyone has the same rights in America, no one is... No one has rights taken away from them due to their skin color. For instance, enslaving someone would be taking their right of freedom away from them based on their skin color. This is a, a vile reality in America's history. Equality leads to equity. So if you, if you, if everyone is treated equally and fairly, not discriminated against based on skin color, their rights are not taken away. Um, uh, due to skin color. It will lead to everyone standing in the same place, equity. Everyone will have the, the same amount of success in business. Now, this is really key because really the point being made is the reverse. That if we don't see equity, the necessary cause is inequality. It is certain people who... Are, are having their rights taken away from them by, by the government or by some system or something. And that's causing the inequity. If everyone is treated equally, then everyone should end up in the same place. Okay, so if everyone's not in the same place, it's necessarily because someone is not being treated equally. And in this conversation, it's, it's based on race. It's based on skin color. Um, again, reading Kendi how to be an anti-racist, it seems in his worldview, as someone has a higher I- income, particularly when we talk about the the white people and black people, uh, it's not due to them working harder. It's not due to them avoiding a, an addiction to crack. Um, it's due to them being on the right side of an oppressive system, them being the oppressor, not the oppressed. So racial disparities are always the result of white supremacy, oppressing non-white people non-white people, particularly black people. But again, what are those white supremacist systems, policies, norms, written rules, unwritten rules that are actually at work to cause these disparities? What laws need to change? Because if what if what Kendi is saying true, my goodness, we need to get those laws off our books. It's not like America has a history of being immune to racist, vile laws and policies and rules. Um, and so if we have those today... We need to be able to point to them clearly, this policy, this law, and change it immediately. So, what are they? And again, I am largely—I—I I, I don't know. I, it's largely unclear to me. Okay, so here's what here's what you can't miss when you're trying to understand wokeness. The core problem. Uh, the core problem at hand, in America, is not necessarily someone's sinful heart. Whether someone is a racist in their heart or not. Is not the core problem in this conversation. The core problem, the ultimate problem, is the racist or are, it, it's the racist written and unwritten laws. I'm quoting here: rules, procedures, processes, regulations, and guidelines. End quote. It's the racist quote laws, policies, practice and practices and norms of society. End quote. That's the core problem. Now, what is a problem is that that is it, it's it's extremely unclear it's extremely vague, it's extremely hazy, it's very nebulous. What are those things that need to change? Just compare it to history. Again, if you look in America's history, you can say that law was wrong. That policy, wrong. That system, evil. And it needed to be changed, and a lot was changed. If you compare it to the laws on abortion today, I mean, if I say... Um, there is a law, a system in place, killing pre-born babies. And you say, what law? What policy? I can actually point to it. I can actually show you. I can actually show you the law that, that must change in our nation regarding abortion. If you compare this to other nations, you say, this nation over here oppresses this people group lawfully, you can actually point to their laws. You can actually point to their oppressive laws, their oppressive policies, that need to change in those nations that America does not have on their books. You just think about free speech, the freedom to speak, the freedom to express ideas. There are nations, many, 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 many nations and cultures. That, that is not a freedom. That, that That is that is not a freedom for those people. We can actually point to that law, that policy and say that needs to change. Um, that needs to change. Um. We are told that here in America, we have racist laws, written and unwritten, policies, structures, systems. But the question is, what are they? What are those rules? What are those regulations? What are those policies? And again, this is a really frustrating point for me because I I read book after book and I listen uh, to to sermon after sermon or lecture after lecture and I go, I still don't know. I've asked the question directly to people, proponents of these views. I still don't know. Um, Without a doubt... Racism is still around. It'll be around until Jesus comes back and establishes perfect justice. When Jesus comes back and establishes the new heavens and the new earth where there's no more sin, no more suffering, no more racism, racism will be around until then. Racist people still exist. That's not, that's not debatable. It's not even, it's not debatable. It's undeniable. Racist things still happen. It's not debatable. It's undeniable. But that's not the focus. That's not the core focus of what we're talking about here. What we're talking about here is, is, is we're being told, wokeness believes there's this oppressive system. But the nuts and bolts of that system, what that system is, what that policy is, remains unclear to me. Um, and at best, it's it's usually highly debatable. Someone may say a voter ID law, racist. Highly debatable, totally something that, that reasonable people can go back and forth on and, uh, and not, not necessarily have anything to do with race, let alone racism. Okay, in conclusion, let's wrap this up. In conclusion, the American way of life is racist. According to Wokeness, there are two broad categories of people in America. You fall into one of them. You either are a racist, whether you know it or not, you're a proponent of it, whether you know it or not, or you are a victim. I asked this directly to uh, a Christian one time. Hey, is there a third category of people who, who, who are not a proponent of racism, that they're not perpetuating it at all? And he could not give me a third category. So this view, this worldview, there's two categories of people, those who are oppressing and those who are oppressed. And the oppressors may know it or they may not. Okay, uh, Everything that's going on in American life is essentially, essentially everything is racist, it's promoting racism or it's fighting against it. Uh, there's not really a third category of people or events. Uh, non-white people, primarily, particularly black people, are the victims of racism. White people uh, primarily are the perpetuators of uh, racism, uh, though black people can be considered racist if they, if they essentially become white supremacists by compromising with it all because it somehow benefits them. Um, racism is caused by the quote, powerful racist, written and unwritten laws, rules, procedures, processes, regulations, and guidelines. What those are today, very unclear to me what they were in American history. Very clear to me what they are today. I'm not sure. Very unclear. Um, evidence for all of this is essentially not needed because it's, it's all the starting premise. It's assumed. Uh, really, the only evidence we need is resistance to the idea, disagreement with the idea, which is why you have probably found that talking about this whole topic on the ground at a dinner um, at work is so tense and so sensitive. Because you maybe know that if you disagree with any of it, that's actually proof that you are a racist. Uh, that is embedded in the worldview and the argument for Uh, The worldview, racism is assumed. If you disagree, very much like I, you can tell I'm doing and at least hinting at um, that's proof of your racism. Okay, sounds very unbelievably circular, but uh, we'll kind of analyze that uh, maybe a bit more later. That is that is again drawing mainly from those three main books, as well as everything I've been hearing and listening to for the past ten years. That's the big idea of wokeness today. That's the big idea of the social movement. Uh, social justice movement today as it pertains to race and racism. That's the big idea. Um, We're going to move on to our second heading in our next episode and talk about the calls to action. If someone says, I believe all of that, I believe all of that, what is that person being called to do? Primarily, they're being called to be an anti-racist. And so we're going to talk about what that means to be an anti-racist racist. And then once we do that, we're going to start, I'm going to start talking about my response, my response to, is this stuff reasonable? Number one, number two, as a Christian, how do I think through it biblically? And again, I said this in episode one, this, this touches your life in some form or fashion, Christian or not. But obviously my audience, primarily Christians, uh, this touches your life as a Christian. And you you probably already know that. And people who potentially hold these views and this worldview, it has major implications for the way they, they uh, think through. I mean, I could use pastor's example. Like if your pastor holds this worldview, it's going to shape significantly the way he pastors your church, it's going to influence his preaching. It's going to influence the way he views his congregation. Um, it, it it has major significance for things that maybe you wouldn't necessarily think. So, uh, hopefully, we'll continue. I'll continue to pump out these episodes, and we'll get into all that. So, until then, peace.